This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 159 for July 2021 with Ryan Habana on the Transfiguration. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 159 for July 2021 with Ryan Habana. Ryan is pastor of Conquering King Fellowship in Invergrove Heights, Minnesota. He also runs the Mount Moriah Foundation and Zara Biblical Films. Mount Moriah conducts semi-annual tours to Israel and Zara produces biblical docudramas. Ryan also serves on the board of, director, board of directors for Echozoi Ministries. He joins me in studio and brought with the importance of the transfiguration as our topic. And as always, he brought a good one. Show notes for this episode are available at echozoe.com slash 159. There haven't been any major changes or developments in the social media situation. So if anything, I'm giving serious consideration to shuttering the Echozoe Ministries Facebook page. And the best way to reach out to me remains the website. You can go to echozoe.com slash contact or the comments section of each post. And the comments section remains open for 60 days after each episode posts. Though I might have to adjust that downward if the spammers try keep trying to get their junk through moderation. And the Russian ones seem to be particularly bad lately. Speaking of moderation, just a reminder that it's fairly simple. You know, the first time you ever comment anywhere on the site... Your post will need approval before it's visible, which is why you guys don't see the Russian spam. But thereafter, uh, once once you've gotten one approved, the subsequent posts will go through automatically. With that, here's my discussion with Ryan. Ryan, it is a pleasure to have you back in studio. And my understanding is first time in the new studio. New new studio. Yeah, you had indicated what was what uh, was it last year, or 2019, that we had did one before, but it was yeah. It, uh, I think the last time we did it was was via Zoom, perhaps. Well, I finished the this studio, this office, yeah. in uh, October of 08, or uh, 18. Sorry, and we've done two episodes since then, but one of them was in Israel, right. So we did the, that was more of a video episode, but we did a little tour of Israel. Right. And that would have been 2019. That was 19. That, yep. was, that was the first one after that. And then we, the one that we've done since that one was like right towards the beginning of all the shutdowns. Okay. And the, yeah. Which was, so a, we did do over right. Zoom. It was probably an emergency one. Like, okay, how are we going to figure this well, out? Well, that was, people were still like, yeah. we were getting tired of the, of the, the stay at home orders and stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, I think it was right around Easter. We were all tired of it. We, we were past the 15 days. Right. To slow the spread. And right. Figuring we should be opening back up soon. Right. But still kind of not, not far enough out to be pushing back and saying, all right, you know what? I'm going to just, <laughs> I'm going to go get together with people regardless of 
the governor says. Right. Right. Exactly. Yep. And yeah. So um, yeah, I've I, I I again I walked into the wrong room when I came <laughs> here because I forgot where we were. Yeah. Now yeah. that's a guest bedroom where yeah, I started. Yeah. Off, so, so I turned around and and I said, must nephew, be over here. My nephew's uh, dirty clothes are probably all over the place <laughs> in there. I didn't stay long enough to uh, <laughs> to survey what was all there. So um, yeah, I just I was also kind of just mentioning that it's getting more and more rare that I do in studio interviews and stuff so it's always a treat to me i always think it's a treat to have somebody in studio yeah because it's just natural in. conversation is, yeah. a, is a little eye bit contact yeah yeah is, eye contact is nice. yeah the the the, the sights the sounds and and uh, hopefully not the smells <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> indeed <laughs> so we've got kind of a uh, i think it started off as an unspoken arrangement but now we kind of understand the, the thing where you know i'm I, I like having you in but our deal is you bring the topic yeah, right. <laughs> so um, I've no better than to, to have a topic in mind. You've always got topics that are better than I can bring anyway. Well, I mean, usually I'm in the, you know, a lot of time I'm in the midst of, of, of something. Uh, mm-hmm. And we, I think we've talked on your podcast before that I, I have my irons in, in different fires. And yeah. so, you know, theological things pop up uh, and uh, usually I'll, I'll throw you out a few. Yeah. Like, yeah, you want to talk about this. And so, um, the one that you ultimately, you know, uh, out of the few that I kind of threw at you, you, uh, uh, I, I, I gave the, the topic or the scripture of, uh, this again, what's been named the transfiguration. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I, I, it is something that I, I really do like delving into because it's, it's, it's an event that really has a ton of significance, uh, as for just for understanding the whole counsel of God. And right. it has a lot of practical significance. And, uh, it's also something that the, the teaching of the, what's actually going on with the transfiguration is subtle. I think it's there, certainly. I mean, the direct teaching is there. What we're called to get out of this is there, but it's very subtle. Because I remember when I was a kid and, and opening up the, you know, Bible, my Bible storybook uh, and, you know, seeing this story, the uh, the transfiguration. And, and it just, well, what is this? Why, yeah. why here? Why, you know, the, the picture was usually a, a picture of Jesus and in, in some sort of glory and Moses and Elijah show up. And it was always just in the back of my mind, kind of a curious thing. What's, what's going on here? What are kind of, what's the point? So uh, yeah. And uh, again, the, you know, th- this, that was when I was a kid. Now when I, you know, even when I was a, a young believer, uh, the, the event really didn't uh, didn't make a whole lot of sense to me uh, until you really start taking a look at not only the the event in its immediate context, but also within the context of the whole counsel of God. So there's all sorts of streams of of history and theology that we will will look at, and I, I think there's tons of good fodder for discussion mm-hmm. in regards to. Um, 
uh, you know, practical ramifications concerning what we're to learn from this event that God orchestrated. Uh, and this is obvious, God orchestrates everything, of course. Uh, he's the sovereign one. But God orchestrated this event to, for a specific purpose, and it's been recorded for our instruction. So that's kind of our trail for the, uh, for okay. the evening. And for the sake of discussion, um, I'm coming in this almost as blind as the listener. So you gave me the topic. You gave me a few to pick from. Uh, the others were more end times related. And uh, I enjoy that kind of thing. But uh, when I look at the stats, I think I, I tend to find that the audience drops off a little bit mm -hmm. and understand also that uh, of all the things that I talk about, I think um, the end times are the one that I have most, or l I should say least agreement between me and listeners and, right. and even other guests that I speak with. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of amillennial, even a few post-millennial. And certainly even amongst the pre-millennial, most of them don't share our, sure, our, our rapture yeah, view. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just kind of for the sake of uh, doing the show for the audience, I thought, well, for one, this was the only non-end times topic, but um, also I, 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 I think you've got this way about you of bringing in a topic that, I mean, the last one that we did was Noahide laws and I would have never, oh, yeah, I yeah. would have never <laughs> like thought of, of this at all. And so you've got a way of bringing in a topic that ends up being more interesting than I would have expected. Yeah. So, so that was what we did last time was the Noahide. Last time was Noahide. Yeah. Yep. That, yeah. That is, it's a fascinating subject in and of itself. Yeah, it really is. Uh, and you know, related to the scriptures, but also something that is, is a, you know, a contemporary issue. Mm -hmm. And as we look at the transfiguration, uh, it, you know, obviously we're, we're going to be, you know, exploring a, a, an historical event. So that's, I mean, we're looking at a, a singular historical event uh, that was uh, made at this point in time uh, for a particular reason. And so um, before we get to that, let me just mention one of the very few things that we did talk about before hitting record was uh, you gave me uh, the, the three synoptic gospel like locations where we'd find it. So if a listener wants to grab a Bible and open it up, we've got um, Matthew 17, uh, Mark 9, and Luke 9 would be where we'd find these. Right. So these are all, they're found in, in every synoptic gospel. John does not record this. Interestingly, uh, he doesn't record it, but he he's there. Uh, he he mm -hmm. is a witness to this. He's one of the the inner circle that Jesus chooses to to witness this event. And so that you know, it, it's it, the the thing I like about the Transfiguration is there's you know, it sounds like something that you know. Oh, how are you going to get an hour out of looking <laughs> at this? Where. Um, I'm interested to see how that plays out myself. But. I, th I think um, in my mind, I look at this and I think, you know, there are, there, there would be a way to make this into a five episode deal, believe it or not. <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah, I think again, as you noted, this is, you know, this is found in the gospel accounts in the synoptic gospel accounts. It's not the only place uh, that we we read of this, but uh, more about that later. So let's uh, let's just start as we always should um, when we're looking at a biblical text. Let's start looking at a um, 
let's start looking at the immediate context of uh, what's going on. And really, mm-hmm. the uh, all of the gospel accounts r- really situate the... Um, the transfiguration at a particular place. Now, if you're familiar with the synoptic gospels, uh, oftentimes the, the authors are arranging things according to their purpose. So there are places where there isn't a, a, a strict chronology. We don't find them, uh, chronicling every event in specific order as, as one another. So, uh, that's not a problem. It's just a technique. And, and I, I chalked it up to theological themes. Um, sure. Uh, our modern, there, mind, there are also some cultural differences there. If I'm correct. Our modern minds want, we think, okay, well, for some yeah. reason we demand a, a well, we, strict yeah, modern, chronology. Modern Western thinkers like right. to think in timelines. And, right. And, logical progressions right. and whatnot. And there is, and, and, and all of the gospels do have somewhat of a, a general progression. Um, sure. It does, you know, you know, John doesn't start with the crucifixion and then recapitulate, you know, he, uh, he's, but he starts at a very well, unique now you're place. thinking like a filmmaker. Start, start with the <laughs> right, end and then right. go back and tell the story. Right. That leads there up you to go. It. Right. There you go. Um, so uh, the immediate context, what we find is uh, the confession uh, and revelation of Jesus as the Christ is, is, um, uh, is ultimately demonstrated before the apostles. So in Matthew chapter 16, where Matthew, so we're going to really kind of take Matthew as the, the primary uh, account, um, just not for any other reason than it's just, uh, it's, uh, it's there and uh, it's just kind of a throwing a dart at the board. So um, Jesus, we read in Matthew chapter 16, he takes his disciples uh, up north. So uh, his primary place of um, his primary place of ministry, his kind of home base, was of course Galilee. Uh, Capernaum was home base uh, there. So, but of course he, he traveled, he traveled down to Jerusalem. He traveled to the coast. He traveled all, you know, all over the region. And here we see he takes them North up into uh, the Hula Valley uh, up to the uh, realm called Caesarea Philippi. And this, this place is significant. So this is going to play into some of the dynamics of the transfiguration. There are historical dynamics. There are geographic dynamics. Uh, and all of these things converge to make it a, a really a fascinating portion of Scripture. So we, we see in, in Matthew 16, again, a very you know, famous passage that uh, Jesus comes to Caesarea Philippi. Now, this is at the base of Mount uh, Hermon, uh, Mount Hermon, which is the really the primary mountain of the area. In fact, if in our West, or the way we're brought up, if we would go to Israel, um, you know, seeing Mount Hermon, we would maybe think, oh, that's only the only real mountain because it's, it's the one that's snow-capped, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> it is by far the biggest mountain of the area. It was also a, a, a very revered mountain because this is the source of water for the land of Israel, uh, well, at, at least a primary source, because after, uh, in the spring, uh, the uh, springs of Mount Hermon flow down into the Golan Heights and then go down into Galilee. And then that 
you know, produces the primary fresh water source for the land. So this is where uh, the Lord is taking them. Now, uh, just to not to interrupt, but Ramon, having having been there with you a couple times, if I remember correctly, it's right kind of where Israel and Syria. Right. Actually, most of it. Yeah, most and, of it I think is in Syria. Actually, it, yeah. in, in modern in the modern way things are constructed, sure. most of it is in Syria. So uh, I really do think that um, the, the this location is important, uh, and we'll uh, we'll get into that you know as we go on. But this mountain was a mountain that was very. Uh, revered and also considered to be again within what we would call legend, um, the place of um, the rebellion of the flood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you read of this in even though First Enoch is not a, uh, yeah, a can, canonized book, and we shouldn't you know put stock in it as scripture. We do see that okay, this was a general thought. That again, and it, it's very, you know, again, well understood just from a geographical perspective that this was a very precious mountain because of its uh, its history and its source of water for the land. So uh, it's also a place, of course, of great idolatry. So uh, the, the history of idolatry in this area goes back a long, of course, a long way. Uh the uh, one of the primary things that we see during Jesus' day was the worship, the worship of Pan. This is where yeah, we. I have, was just going to mention that that, that um, just remembering as we went through, or in 2014 when I was on that tour, I remember going up to this location with with your tour, and uh, specifically it being referred to as Pan's Grotto. Right. And so this is one of many, and so, and this is where Caesarea Philippi was. Mm-hmm. So that Jesus is taking them up there, you know, and this is where this is taking place. So this is where the confession is going to take place, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know. Well, just he, to be clear, the, the. So we're still in the, the phase of confession. So we're just looking at context here because right. this confession is now going to lead to the transfiguration you confession. You're talking about Peter confessing right. Christ. Right. And we'll the, read that Jesus right now. Just so, yep. And so we're in Matthew 16 right. and Jesus again invites them. Who do people say that the son of man is? This is the disciples. And some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, uh, bar Jonah, that's son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And he strictly ch- uh, charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So you have this confession that Jesus is the Messiah. So, uh, and Jesus, I mean, he publicly, very directly has this revealed before his disciples. So this, uh, this confession is, the, again, one of the key components to the context of the transfiguration, because first off, historically, we need to remember what... M- Messiah, what 
the theology of the Christ would have been at this time. And I'm, I'm sure this is something that we have discussed before, but it's important to, uh, to ultimately review this. But again, messianic expectation of the day was not an expectation of, uh, of a crucified king. Uh, the way Messiah is even used today in our, you know, lingo is the Messiah uh, is, it's, it's almost a suffering figure. Uh, we, if we're talking about film or literature, oh, someone who's a Messiah figure, there, a Messiah figure would be in, in a film or literature is usually one who gives his life for a, a greater purpose. Now, Messiah or Mashiach or Christos, Messiah or Christ uh, is, of course, Hebrew, uh, which is where we get the more closer transliter- transliteration Messiah, means anointed. And same with Christos or, or Christ, anointed. So this is the anointed. Now, if someone said the, uh, the anointed one is here or the kingdom is coming, this the the ears would have immediately thought of of the conquest of the gentiles so this concept of the christ and the revelation that he is the christ is uh, is crucial at this point because again this confession of him as as again not only the christ but the son of the living god i do think this Again, in association with this land of idolatry, uh, uh, Hermon and Banyas and Caesarea Philippi, this is a, a center of idolatry. So he is presenting himself as the son, the, uh, the unique one, again, the, God the son, and he is going to uh, ultimately, we see the kingdom mentioned here. He says, I'll give uh, you the keys of the, of the kingdom. So you have Christ, you also have his disciples here. And so this is important to, to realize because you have this, this imagery of uh, a foundation. And so he says, you are, um, I tell you, you are, and this is Again, we can't get too much into this because this is another program. If we really want to get into the the quote unquote rocks mm-hmm. here, but the the connection here, uh, this this isn't establishing a pope. Uh, however, we we don't want to minimize the place of the apostles here, because again, Christ is the cornerstone. He is. If we want to say who is the rock, of course it's Christ. But in Ephesians chapter two, we see that the, the foundation of the, the people of God, the house of God, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ as a cornerstone. So those that are standing there, uh, Peter, yeah, Peter isn't the first pope, but Peter is important because he is one of these stones that makes up the, uh, the foundation. Now, I, I want you to remember all of this stuff because we're going to go to Peter himself. 
when he's talking about some of these things. And this event of the confession is a crucial backdrop to the transfiguration. So that's why we're spending time here. Sure. We're going to see this and then the very next thing. Now, as we follow this, we see in verse 21, this is immediately after, he says, uh, don't tell anybody that he's the Christ. Verse 21, now note this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So isn't it interesting here that he is announced as the Christ and he, the, the first point of theology he is going to press upon his um, disciples is he has to go to Jerusalem to suffer. And I think that is really embedded into this, again, the expectation of the day was the Christ comes, he conquers Rome, and we have shalom in the land. Jerusalem saved, the, the Gentiles are kicked out, and, he, and we have shalom in the land. And so that'll come eventually, but... Right here, we see the confession and also the, uh, the declaration um, that Jesus now is going to continually press upon his disciples. He is going to Jerusalem, not to establish the physical kingdom and, and take the throne in Jerusalem right now. He is going up to uh, be shamefully executed. So, also, we have then a calling uh, right after that, which is take up, take up your cross and, and follow him. So, I'm sorry, I just have to kind of wonder how these conversations went, because you, you can kind of see as you're reading through the scriptures that it's, it's just not clicking with Peter. Or any of the disciples. They're just, right. right. But especially Peter. I mean, you, know, you see the Garden of Gethsemane when he right, right. pulls and out he, his, his sword. And, and even here, he's, he, we didn't get that far, but sure. he, 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 he well, tried to stop him and we, we won't go there but he tried to stop me he says that'll never happen and you know peter with his peaks and valleys he's you know first off you're blessed you're you know you are peter you're a small rock but you're going to be given the keys and then in the next you know breath of scripture mm-hmm. he is ultimately being said you're well you're in league with satan you're the enemy by wanting to prevent me from going to the cross yeah so <clears throat> So that is the the backdrop. So those those two things are very crucial. We have the confession. We have then, after the confession of the Christ, we have the definition. Is that you need to understand that, yes, he is indeed the Christ, the son of the living God, but he has to go to Jerusalem to die. And so, uh, and and of course we have, you know, it's not just death, it's resurrection. Um, On the third day, he will be raised. So, uh, this this language here, um, we also see this um, in verse 27, right before the transfiguration, we see, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, again, kingdom here is uh, speaks of of. of of, of power and reign. So I think this is a, a lead in to the transfiguration. So we see in verse 17, after six days, okay, so we have 
a, a six day. So it's, you know, it's about a, a week transpires. We see Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. So we have only three. It's not all of the disciples. Jesus selects three. So uh, all of the details here are actually quite important. So uh, that he's taking three up is important. And uh, that they're, of course, his apostles. And we'll talk about this. One of the things, of the, the, the place of being a, a quote-unquote witness is, is important here. So, of course, Peter uh, and then James and John, the, the brothers, these three are the ones that are taken up. And we see they're taken, uh, they led them up a high mountain by themselves. So it's just them. It's them for Jesus with Peter, James, and John. So here's the question. Uh, where? Okay, where is this mountain? Because the, this, the, the text here does not identify the mountain. Sure. And so ultimately, we can't be absolutely dogmatic about this. Um, Let me give you a couple of the options, because I do think, again, looking at the possibilities makes some uh, some important perspectives for us. Well, I'm sure you're going to go there, but you you mentioned Hermon and that is the tallest mountain in the area. Yep. And I and I would put that. Uh, as the most likely, uh, uh, because it's it's right there. I mean, again, for, within the context, they are right in, uh, you know, Caesarea Philippi, and so um, you know, it's it, it, to think, oh, they they needed to get going. That really wasn't oftentimes the way things worked. When oftentimes they would stay for a while. Us, I mean, if you haven't been to Israel, if you're like north of Jerusalem. Just look north, and you can see that, right? I mean, it's it's visible from yeah on the a clear north on, half. A, on a clear day. I mean, I, I remember when we were down in Galilee. I mean, it's you know it can be clear from like, and it's got to be really clear. You re, you remember yeah. that again? Haze is a is a is a and some of the days where you think it would be clear as a bell, you still can't get that sight. Whereas at other times, when I first saw Mount Hermon from Galilee. I was shocked because of how big it was because mm-hmm. I thought I was looking for a little, uh, you know, ultimately a, a, a little peak on the horizon. Right. And then it was a, and it was a surprising day cause it was an overcast day. Wow. Uh, and there was just a, enough of, uh, you know, a, of a break and some minimal haze that I looked and, and the whole horizon was presented with, you know, a huge mountain. Mm-hmm. So it, um, it was very surprising to me when I first saw it. So I, I do think Mount Hermon is the most likely because of number one, its proximity. Number two, this, again, this place of importance that, again, uh, Hermon was a very important mountain as well as a, uh, you know, a place that had, you know, idolatry and rebellion associated with it. So in one sense, Jesus' kingdom and his, again, his, not only his confession, but also a peek into his kingdom, into his reign, into his power, is ultimately demonstrated here because uh, he, 
he is starting his subjugation of sin and the powers of darkness. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, uh, and Herman with a lot with idolatry and some of the legend that was associated with it, whether that, with that, whether that is actually history or not, will leave. Sure. But again, this is a place we know it is a place that at least the, the, the first century mind would have associated not only of important, but also a place of rebellion. If you knew what the commands of the Lord were in the law and prophets, this northern region was associated with rebellion. And another one we haven't even mentioned yet is right at the base of Mount Hermon is Dan. Right. Which yep. is, you know, you know, one of the main cultic centers that Jeroboam set up uh, in 930 BC uh, during the split of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So, so we see it's very quick. He, they go up to a high mountain by themselves and very, we see in verse two, he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. So Jesus, what we read in Romans eight is he was in the uh, likeness of sinful flesh. Okay, mm-hmm. he was in the likeness of sinful flesh. The reason why Paul makes again that uh, that description, I think it's a good description, because he when he comes and he uh, is born of uh, of Mary, he is a human, but he is not living as a glorified human. He is living in what is said as the likeness of sinful flesh, which means he can get hurt, he can. Um, well, he can die. That's the ultimately the very point is uh, he is able to die. And so, uh, uh, you know, hearkening back to Isaiah 53, when it's, he had no beauty or majesty that we would desire him. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a peak visually, and it's not just visually, because I think it is experientially, when one encounters a, even the gleanings of the divine presence, it is tangible. It's not just sight, it's weighty. And, we, and we'll get some of that uh, here. So we see that his true glory, which he himself in his humility is veiling during this time, being in the likeness of sinful flesh, they see that who he is. So this is a peak. So again, looking at what is intending here, one of the things that we see is the Christ, and then we have, uh, he's going to suffer, but this is a peak for the disciples, these three disciples, to be witnesses, not only in regards to Jesus' identity, which is clear here, and we'll we'll see that, but again, there's going to be another message that is very much at work here. So let's keep reading. So, Verse 3, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So you have Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. Jesus is, the again, the one in the center. Now you have the appearance of both Moses and Elijah. Now, how Moses and Elijah are here, and in, in what form are they? Are they in body? Are they, is this a vision? We don't have the information, Mm -hmm. but ultimately the word says they were there. So in whatever the way the Lord intends, yes, they were present. And they were, we see they were actually speaking with Jesus. Now, Luke tells us that they were actually speaking with Jesus about what was about to occur in Jerusalem. 
which is, I think, an interesting bit of info. They were, they were talking about what was going to occur in Jerusalem. So you have three um, disciples who are witnessing this. So you have Jesus, and then you have Peter, or rather you have Jesus, and then you have Moses and Elijah. So Peter, once again, you, we talked about him not getting it. Well, he biffs it again here. In, in verse 4, <clears throat> He says, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So <clears throat> there are a, a lot of interesting things here. There, uh, again, to, uh, th- that Peter was going to make a, a tabernacle or a tent to dwell he may have been, again, expecting things before the time because of this. And uh, even later on, there is this questioning about, well, Elijah comes first before. And I don't think we're going to have quite a, uh, the time to get into that. But this, <clears throat> this desire to make tents, uh, Peter isn't grasping it. He's not grasping timing, nor is he really grasping, I believe, the significance of what is going on here. And it's interesting because in verse 5, we then see, uh, while he was still speaking, uh, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus alone. Okay, so you have these three who witnessed this. And, and it's really amazing. I mean, think of being chosen to see this event. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's what these three got to see. First off, again, the Lord of all is among them. Jesus, the Son, is among them. And, you know, they even aren't getting the gravity of that. They, they, uh, they get it, but in one sense, they don't, I don't, at this point, they don't even get the gravity of who really is among them. And so um, Moses and Elijah appear. So again, as far as names in the Old Testament goes, Those I mean, the top two. Uh, well, I mean, there's others that you could argue. You, you could argue Abraham or David, but these are, you know, you've got the law and the prophet, right? And then th- that's important. So why Moses and Elijah? And uh, I do think this is, uh, you know, as far as there are emblematic things going on here. Now, when I say emblematic, I, I want to make sure I'm clarifying what I'm, what I'm trying to, you know, uh, set forth. It, this is an historical event. This happened on, on this mountain. And mm-hmm. by the way, the other two mountains, I don't think I noted this. No, we didn't get but it. But yeah, the other two mountains that are suggestions, one that I think is very unlikely, but it's the traditional location. It's Mount Tabor. And Mount Tabor is that very definitive mount in the Jezreel Valley. Um, you can see it from the Nazareth precipice. It's it's a it's a you know it's almost like a, a bowl, an upside down bowl. And so that's Mount Tabor, and they uh, they revere that as this mountain. But I, um, that came along quite a bit later, uh, okay. as far as them marking that. And I I just don't think it's it's likely. 
the other one is Mount Sinai. And that's quite a ways away. <laughs> right. That's, that's the main problem. Mm-hmm. However, well, and then it, it, let's not make too much light of that. As no, that's said, why, that's as, why, I, as you said, it was six days. They went from the northernmost part of, 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 well, modern Israel. Right. Probably pretty close to historic Israel as well. Right. Down to, now we can argue whether Sinai is, you know, where the traditional is. site on right. the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt or, or across the Red Sea in you Saudi know, Arabia. That's a long way to go in it six is. days. It would, it would probably take, I mean, here's, on foot. Here's what it would, the thing is, is, okay. <laughs> There is, you know, precedent for miraculous transport in the scriptures. You well, have that. That's with, what it would take. Yeah. You know, that was, if, if it's Sinai, it would take, and Elijah runs miraculously ahead of, uh, of, of Ahab in, um, you know, after the showdown of Mount Carmel. Sure. So uh, that's what it would take, or some sort of miraculous transport. The, now, but I, I want to talk about the, 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 there's something about that I think we should note. And again, this is, again, one of those layers of this that I think is really neat. So Jesus is appearing and, and speaking with Moses and Elijah. Now, Jesus did indeed, I mean, he's already spoken with Moses and Elijah at Mount Sinai. Because, again, uh, it was Malachi Yahweh mm-hmm. who spoke out of the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. That I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses asked, what's your name? And t- I am. Tell them that I am sent you. Sure. And so, again, from a, you know, from a theological perspective, I think it's a, 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 Interesting. It's a, cinch, it's a cinch that. But, I mean, aside from, from Gabriel telling Joseph and Mary to take Jesus down to Egypt, is there any other time in his life where he's recorded as leaving Israel. Yeah, I mean he's up in the Syrophoenician land as well. Uh yeah. when he goes up there. And 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 that's where he is again demonstrating his power even greater than uh, Elijah and Elisha. Mm-hmm. And in 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 that. So, um uh, but what but the interesting thing is again, I don't think Sinai is likely. I think it's an interesting possibility. Um but the fact that, and then Elijah, after the showdown on Mount Carmel, he flees and goes all the way down. Now it takes him a, a long time to get down there. So, um, but that he meets Malik Yahweh, not only on his way, but then he meets the God at Mount Sinai there as well. So this is the first time that these two men have encountered this one on a mountain. So, right, you have Moses and Elijah who, ha- who are, again, the... The f- kind of the figureheads or representatives of the law and the prophets. And th- again, that emblematic si- significance is there. So they're talking to Jesus. Now, <clears throat> again, from a historic, an historical perspective, what is going to be happening in the coming days and years is revolutionary in an, in an eternal perspective because there is going, Jesus is going to the cross and he's going to forge a new covenant. And if you've, you know, again, read Acts or even the rest, you know, the, of the New Testament, you know that the primary debate of that time between the apostles and the, uh, un, what we call unbelieving Jewish community had to do with whether this was against 
the law and prophets or against the law of Moses. And you see that in Acts. And even with Jesus, they're constantly saying he's against Moses, he's against Moses, he's against this place. And so when you have Moses and Elijah there with Jesus, not only are we reminded that he was the one who inspired the law and the prophets. So he's the author of the law and the prophets. Mm -hmm. And then they're talking with him about what's about to happen in Jerusalem. Now, Luke gives us that nugget. And I think it's good for us to connect that to, um, uh, to the uh, road to Emmaus when Jesus, uh, with those two, after he's raised from the dead, he says, uh, was it not necessary for the Christ to first suffer and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he uh, explained them the scriptures. He interpreted the scriptures regarding all things concerning himself. Mm-hmm. So um, this uh, dynamic uh, is a very important one because it is showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so we haven't even gotten to the biggest voice here. <laughs> Because then after Peter says, I, okay, let's have all three of you here. Well, the, really the point of this vision isn't that, okay, we're going to have Moses and Elijah here. The point of the, this vision is to see the preeminence of Jesus. That's why this cloud envelops and kind of shuts Peter up in a sense. And the father himself speaks and declares, this is my beloved son. And then there's that listen to him. Listen to him. I believe that is a connection back to Deuteronomy 18. When Moses, the voice of the Lord as well as Moses, says, I will raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. To him, you must listen. So this is a prophetic fulfillment. Moses was actually there. This is the prophet that Moses said, look look to. So if you're actually going to listen to Moses... You need to listen to Christ. And so this is the ultimate witness. Now, I, I, want, I want us to step back because we've been just kind of been talking about some of the very interesting and fascinating theological dynamics regarding this. But this is extremely significant and practical for us mm-hmm. as believers in the Messiah. Because uh, the first century with the new covenant being forged, there's this question, and, and it dominates the New Testament, uh, it, and, and questions are, are unanswered until certain times. The question is, is, okay, how do we live? How do we live under this new covenant? Now, think of— We're still trying to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> right, but, but we would say it has been answered. Well, it has, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're sorting the things out, of course, right. but—, but the question is, is do we still love, live under the prescriptions of the Mosaic law? Because think of, uh, of how, in, again, it, be, it was ingrained in Jewish culture is, again, obey the law. And when you were under the stewardship of the law, if you were either an Israelite or if you were, uh, you know, a, a foreigner living among Israel, you were called to live according to the law of Moses. But now something different is coming and that there is going to be a, as the book of Hebrews says in chapter seven, a change in the law 
Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean the Mosaic law was changed. I think the change there means there is a transfer. And that's what 7 and 8 of Hebrews is all about. There's a new covenant now. And with the new covenant, we no longer live according to the stipulations of the old covenant. So this event is something that encapsulates all of the Bible. All of the Bible is here because it isn't that the law and the prophets were not significant, nor are they significant. They're they're still, um, of course, very much significant. They point us to Christ, and that's what's being said here. Mm -hmm. But now that the fulfillment is here, the Father himself, and this is what it would take, God himself to come and say, now you listen to him because there's a change. No longer are, you know, our Sabbath commands going to be binding. No longer are the food and dietary laws or the sacrificial system. This is going to change. And that's what's going on here. So Jesus along, and we can't lose sight of this, along with his apostles are going to bring this forth because you know, we have the, the, the three here. Again, witnesses is an, is an interesting thing. You have three people witnessing this. And matters, again, were established on the basis of two or three witnesses. So they are witnessing in the sense of seeing and hearing. Mm-hmm. You know, they experience this. And Jesus actually tells them uh, and says to them, do not tell anybody about this vision until after the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So this was, at this point in time, at this place, God's plan for this to happen. Demonstrating, again, the first thing is, is demonstrating his, you know, uh, his power, his glory, his, yes, kingdom, his reign over the powers of darkness. The second thing, of course, is uh, the way of, of life for those that are following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Father himself speaks. And this is, you know, not a very common occurrence when the Father is audibly speaking. It happens in the life of Christ a few times. Mm -hmm. But again, this is the Father declaring uh, audibly to witnesses that this is his beloved Son. And there's a command listen to him. It's hear him and obey him. And so there's no two ways here either. It isn't that, okay, you can still follow the Mosaic law if you want, or you can follow Jesus. It is you only follow Christ because he is the fulfillment of the law and prophets, as is noted in Matthew. So, um, a couple, one place I really did want us to to follow up on is uh, this this whole uh, element of uh, the prophetic word, and a couple things I'd like us to see in uh, in First and Second uh, Peter. Um, first off, let's go to Second Peter. Actually, let's go to first. We'll, we'll go in order. In First Peter, um, we see um, in chapter 2, verse 4, 
Peter declares, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and, prep, and precious, precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying a, in Zion a stone, a, corner sto- a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, that, again, I think this imagery is rooted back in the, his confession. We, you have um, living stones building up this temple of God, but he called Peter a, a stone. And then on this rock, and on that rock, again, it's either Christ himself as the cornerstone or the, the entire bedrock, which would be consisting of Christ the cornerstone and the apostles and prophets. On that foundation, it's, it's built up. So again, you have the apostolic authority. So as we listen to Christ, when God says, listen to him, we listen to Christ through his apostles. So the way we listen to Christ is through the new covenant scriptures. There's, there's no such thing, uh, or I, should, I shouldn't say there's no such thing, but there, there truly is, is no way to say, oh, I'm just going to follow Christ and not the apostles. Because Christ, Christ never wrote a book. Every single inspired word we have came from the Spirit inspiring his followers, the, the apostles, as well as the, uh, the, the prophets whom the word of God came to. Uh, that's something for another time. All, all apostles are prophets, um, but not all prophets sure. are apostles. Sure. So that, that dynamic. Well, then even like, I think it might be worth noting that um, we, we've got New Testament scriptures that are not written by apostles, but generally they are like, first, they're, they're close, well, they're, right? They're they're yeah. disciples of apostles, right? And and that's uh, apostolic authority is something very key, because the Lord bestowed upon the twelve, um, the stewardship of the word. So uh, they acknowledged the word of God came to others that weren't numbered among the twelve. That happened, mm-hmm. but it would never. And again, so it wasn't that the disciples or the apostles, quote-unquote, had some sort of ultimate, you know, ultimate control. The Spirit had ultimate control. Right. But the Lord entrusted these men as his, his witnesses. Yeah. You will be my witnesses. And this is actually one part, uh, actually a very crucial part, of them being witnesses. Now, in Second Peter, Peter uh, ultimately refers to this. He refers to this, and he gives us some kind of greater insight and theology into what was going on here. And so in 2 Peter, in verse, uh, in verse 16 of chapter 1, we read, um, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, I, you could say, okay, this is a, a general, could be a general um, and, and there's nothing wrong with taking this as a general statement because the transfiguration is just one of, you know, an innumerable amount of things that they saw and heard as eyewitnesses. But as we read on, we see, for when he received 
honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We are ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention. Now, all of that language, of course, is speaking of the transfiguration. And I do think the ultimately even this we were eyewitness of, of his majesty is speaking of this preview of his, again, shining light and glory uh, um, on the Mount of, whatever Mount it was, the Mount of Transfiguration. So you have the voice of the Father, and then we see this was on a, a, a holy mountain. And then that statement is is very crucial. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So this was God placing a seal, not only upon his son, again, a seal, a stamp of this, he is mine. Mm -hmm. And he did it in a way that first off, you have that which came before the law and the prophets. And it's not that these things are important. Very much this event is emblematic of Jesus' statement when he says, do not think I've come to destroy the law and prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And so you have that because they, were, they weren't arguing. They were talking, and, and I think in a subservient manner, because they realized this is the Lord, uh, Moses and Elijah did, that about what was going to happen in Jerusalem. So the law and prophets testify. Of course, we know that. They testify of the suffering Messiah. Um, and then he says, uh, the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention. That pay attention is a cousin, an, an interpretive cousin to that exclamation, listen to him. Listen isn't just like, okay, hear him out. It's, hey, pay attention. This is my beloved Like we tell our kids, son. listen. Yeah. Listen Listen to this is extremely important. And there's yeah. nothing, the truth is, there's nothing more important than this. Right. If you don't listen to the son, you're lost. Listening to the son is the gospel. And that's even what you see in Hebrews. The, the call of Hebrews, see to that you, you do not refuse him who is speaking. And this prophetic word, this prophetic word is the word of the prophet. Remember, Jesus uh, is that ultimate prophet that Moses, you know, foresaw that was going to be greater than him, that was going to be one who comes and leads the people and uh, mediate a covenant. So this <clears throat> prophetic word, this, and, and again, the prophetic word isn't just some singular thing. It really does speak to what I would say the scriptures. And this nexus, this event, you have eyewitnesses who saw, but you also have witnesses who testified. And so you had really had three witnesses who saw mm -hmm. and heard, experienced. And that would be the ones who were going to, I mean, key ones, um, John, James, and Peter, that were going to eventually take this to the world. Look at they witnessed this, and here we are talking about this right. very yeah. thing. We yeah. were talking about it. They witnessed it. The Spirit has preserved this, and he's passing it on. But then you have three witnesses in the other sense that ultimately um, are 
testifying, so to speak, regarding who this truly is. And it's Moses, Elijah, and of course, the ultimate one, the father. The father comes in as the third witness and places a seal. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so you think of how important that is. I mean, that's the gospel. And we have this event that was placed here for our encouragement, for our encouragement, knowing that we're serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of history. And so we do not need to uh, be uh, fearful. We do not need to waver. We can take great strength knowing that the Father has given us this type of an anchor that our Lord, uh, the one that we serve, has the seal of the Father upon him, and he's the fulfillment of the law and prophets. And here we are 2,000 years after this happened, but we have seen, again, the Spirit take this testimony and continue to gather in people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Awesome. Yeah, that was it was good. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. And, and again, I, I, I encourage people to, to, there's a ton of things that, you could go into more like yeah. the, the dynamics of, of a witness, you know, yep. mm-hmm. because as you go into the the New Testament, even I, I kind of drop some breadcrumbs there, like Hebrews, this whole thing about yep. him who speaks, uh, you know, the father speaks. This is my, and even that, that terminology, this is my son. That's another thing we didn't even touch on when he's saying, this is my son. That's bringing forth language. That's kingship language. That's the, the father, you know, presenting his his son as his co-regent, mm-hmm. rooted back in Psalm 2, uh, which is, uh, uh, you are my son today, I have brought you forth or begotten you, however you want to tr- translate that. Okay. So again, I think I find this to be a very important, fascinating kind of nexus of biblical history, which you really could tie all of the Bible, both what came up to this point and what comes after to yeah. this. Things that we're still waiting, because we're waiting for that which this previews, Jesus' power and kingdom and reigning and glory, yeah. that's coming when, you know, we're going to see him in his regal glory. So uh, I think it's a fascinating thing, and I think there's many layers yet to be discovered, too. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Well, thank you for offering that as a topic, and then I didn't even have to talk much over the last hour. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for presenting that as well. You bet. It's yeah. Cool no, it's topic. always a pleasure to, to come on board and, uh, and talk uh, scripture shop with you. Cool. Well. Um, yeah, I don't know where to go with that other than just to say thanks. So, um, yeah, thanks again. You bet. You bet. My pleasure. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status. And your donations are tax deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 159. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com 159. Because this episode is pretty late for the month, the August episode will also probably be late as well. I don't have anything lined up yet, so I don't expect to have uh, an episode up until probably the second half of August sometime. Hopefully I can start getting shows up earlier in the month uh, as we get into the fall. 
Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the August episode of Echo Zoe Radio. 